forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I am begging pleading, asking you to please give my book a review on Amazon and Goodreads. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, wink, and I'm just drinking a lot of seltzer. Have you left a review for my book Oh my God, I haven't. Oh my God, I didn't even think about- Wow. You know, sometimes late at night, I'll go, I should rate my friend's podcast, and then I just fall asleep. (laughs) I have to do that. Yeah, I will go. I promise. I swear. I, I am so sorry. How how has it been? You finished your book tour. I did. Yes. Um, You know, it's like that kind of the the postpartum come down of like being excited for something for years. And then, oh, my God, it didn't change my life overnight. That's weird. And then having to adjust to that. <laughs> I know. I know. I was talking to someone about that. Like so I was like giving advice to this person who wants to get into the industry. And I was like, I work, I work here, but it's not like anything's going to like, it's not like things have happened that have like been like, wow, this is really changing things. But you have to, in your mind, go, it is changing things because now you've written a book. Now you've gotten the second book deal. Now you like are on a path. So it's all a path rather than a peak, which I don't know if anyone's ever said that before. But wow, that was really insightful of me. I was like, was that a quote? Because that was really beautiful. No, it's a path, not a peak. <laughs> Melissa's nodding. That was really right? good. <laughs> I should I should take my own advice wow. on that. Yeah, seriously. And I keep reminding myself, I don't know where the book will lead me. And, you know, it, it's a, I have to give it a long life instead of just this first few weeks right after. And a way to give it a long life is for people to leave me Amazon and Goodread reviews. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. Thank you. Look at me. I'm self-promoting. I'm pushing through the discomfort. I'm so excited because you have to. That's why we have. I mean, look, we have this captive audience. They have to listen to what we say. Legally, they're required. Once you start a podcast, you cannot shut it (laughs) off. (laughs) So they have to listen to us. I have minor stuff. I have a Scribd original that came out called Stimulus Wreck. That is just a ebook and audio book that you can listen to me read or get for free with a code that's on my Instagram at Gabby Road, but there's a code where you can get Scribd for 60 days free so you can read my book, Stimulus Rec, for free. It's an update to Bad With Money that takes into account the pandemic that nobody saw coming. Some people saw the <laughs> pandemic coming, but we didn't listen to them. No, we didn't. And instead, we shut we shut down their department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then also my film Grinder Baby is going to be at Frameline Fest if anyone's going to Frameline They'll be able to see it there. There's like a screening on the 18th. On the 24th is a digital screening if you want to go and you don't live anywhere near San Francisco. And then the 26th, it's screening again in person. I might be at either one or both of those screenings. And Mal, I think, is going to be with me. The little like promo thing for it says that I'll be there. And I forgot that it. <laughs> I didn't fill out the form for Mal. And Lord knows Mal doesn't fill out the form for themselves. <laughs> so now they're not in the promotional materials. But. Um, they'll probably be there. (laughs) Anyway, this is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty. 
Oh, I told you this, Gabby, but my boyfriend, John, was listening. You know, I we edit all the episodes. We go through and listen to them and make notes and everything. And so I was in the middle of doing that. And he came into the room and he heard an exchange between me and Gabby. And he went, wow, it's brutally honest. And I was like, yeah, that's in the show description. <laughs> that's what we're all about, man. Have you never listened to this show? <laughs> He literally used the term brutally honest to describe it in a non-ironic way. And I was dying. But he hasn't listened to it. <laughs> yeah, he's listened to episodes. He doesn't listen every week. Only my mom listens every week. Aww. Mal says that they don't because they want to give me privacy. But I honestly think it's because they they can't commit to watching. They can't commit to doing it. I mean, like people have started. I love them so much. People have started group texting me and Mal to talk to Mal. <laughs> mm. and, hey whatever works yeah so I'm glad John thinks our show is brutally honest yeah I have to tell him now to leave a review someone oh you guys please leave reviews of JBU I know we always say that you should and then we say we'll read them and then we never do so let me read two just to support you guys and then and then I promise we'll <laughs> okay I'm sorry the first one that comes up is from Aery one, it's five stars, and they just wrote, "Love this show." He he he! Ha ha ha! That is a perfect review. We love it. It shows the spirit of the show. It shows the heart of the show. I'm crying. I think I told them to write. I think I said write that. Uh, oh my goodness. And we also have from <laughs> their handle is disappointed frowny face. But they said they gave it five stars and said, I wait for this podcast to come out weekly. It is great. Smiley face. So we have really turned them around. They called it Wonderful Educational and Silly Podcast, which I do enjoy. But wow, so funny. <laughs> I also love that Sky 5665 rated it five out of 2.7 quirky stars. All right. Love it. Oh, anytime that you can leave an inside joke in the review, know that I read it and I chuckle and feel very appreciative. And I don't just chuckle. I go, hee, 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 hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> <laughs> That's the official laugh of the JBU podcast moving forward. Okay, so we have got an incredible episode for you guys today. We're feeling loose. We're feeling good. Oh God, not really, but sort of. This week, we're going to be asking Allison Rosen some tough questions about the news and reporting good news. And then later, we're going to discuss my hatred of comedy. <laughs> I forgot that was a topic. I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, the other day I was texting Gabby and they just wrote back, I hate comedy. And I was like, well, that's strange. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I hate it. Did you know that comedy isn't funny? Oh, my God. First, though, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Brittany! Location unknown. Ooh. Very spooky and mysterious. So, Brittany, TLDR, how do you heal from a friend breakup when you weren't given a chance to speak your truth? Ooh. Hi, Gabby and Allison. I'm Brittany, she, her, and just went through a really rough friend breakup with someone I'll call Tina, she, her. For context, I've been friends with Tina for almost six years. 
and we have never once fought before this friendship ending event. She was supposed to visit me in the city I live in for five days the week of my birthday a few months ago. It would have been her first time visiting me. She was staying in my apartment with my partner and I. We had planned it for months beforehand and we were so excited. I've taken COVID very seriously since the beginning and up until this happened, I thought Tina was doing the same. This matters, I promise. About a month before she was supposed to visit, we were talking logistics over Marco Polo, a video messaging app, as she still wasn't sure if she was going to be flying or driving to see me. In a video she sent to me, she said she had something to tell me that she had been afraid of saying, which was that she no longer wanted to get vaccinated. Hmm. She had already gotten her original J&J vaccine and had been telling me she planned to get the booster before the trip. She then said that she hoped this wouldn't change things and asked me explicitly if then if there was anything I needed to make sure she could still come and I would feel safe COVID-wise. Hmm. She emphasized that all she wanted was open communication. At first, I was mostly just surprised. It seemed like a sudden change of opinion, and I wondered what led to that decision for her. I talked it over with my partner and later on with my therapist and came up with some things that would help me limit the risk of COVID during Tina's visit. Hmm. The day after Tina sent the video, I responded with a lengthy text that I tried really hard to be clear, but as kind as possible about my needs. Mm -hmm. Okay, also they included the messages for context, but I I have to be honest, I didn't read them. (laughs) Uh, But I believe everything that they're saying. Yeah, you were kind. (laughs) You were clear, but kind. Yeah, and the messages included masking up a couple days before the trip to limit exposure, taking a rapid test the day she left to come see us, considering drawing, driving over flying to limit contact with other people. Okay. I also made sure to say that my partner and I would be masking and testing. We are already regularly doing those things as well to ensure her safety too. I said I was surprised about her vaccine decision only because it wasn't her viewpoint up until recently, but I'd be open to hearing her out as to why she made that choice in a non-judgmental way. I told her I love her, care about her, appreciate being given the space to ask for what I need, and I truly hope she'd still come. Here's the twist. The next day, she responded with a short text, basically cutting me out of her life and asked me not to respond. She said I used her decision as leverage for an entire friendship with her, that I was no longer a safe person, and ended the relationship in about five sentences. She then immediately blocked my number and all mine and my partner's social media accounts. I haven't spoken to her since. This has been really devastating and felt so sudden. I truly tried to be so careful and loving while also giving myself permission to ask for what I need after she asked me to. Mm -hmm. I felt like my words got flipped around and turned toward me to make me look like a horrible person. And then the decision to block any and all communication afterwards hurt more. So I was also not allowed to clear the air, explain or even stand up for myself. This is a pattern I've experienced in relationships where people have cut me off and left me no room to speak, which she also knows about. It was so hurtful to know that she would do that to me knowing my past. I've done the thing where you write a letter you don't send, but it doesn't satisfy the feeling of wanting to actually be heard by the person that should hear you. It's been a couple months and I've gone through the phase of feeling fine and then maybe it was even for the better that she's not in my life. Mm. But I've circled back to this feeling of anger and hurt recently and it sucks to have nowhere to put those feelings that actually gives relief. So how do I move through and release it? How do I feel hurt in a case where I have no way to communicate my feelings? Thank you for reading all of this and for all that you both do. You have been such a source of joy and wisdom for so many years for me, and I am so grateful. The first thing that I want to say is that when someone says, hey, let me know how to accommodate you about this, sorry. And then you write back and say what you want your accommodations to be, and then they're put out, they were never offering that in the first place. Like she wanted you to go, no, 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 no. It's fine. Just keep the same plan. Don't worry about it. She was a person who wasn't actually asking for what she could do to make you feel safe. She was hoping that you would just say nothing. 
but she wanted to seem like the type of person who would do these accommodations. Um, and she actually did not. When, when you then communicate the boundary, they're they're like upset about the boundary being communicated. I think sometimes we've done ourselves a disservice with all this therapy language that we've let permeate society because people know enough to say, oh, thank you so much for, you know, let me know what I can do. But then when the person actually comes back and says, this is what I need you to do, they're like, oh, this is a burden. (laughs) And then so I think that is maybe partially what happened here. I also wonder, you know, we've talked before on this show about how COVID has really drawn a line in the sand for a lot of people. And, you know, I I follow a Reddit. Again, I know I talk about Reddit a lot. I follow a Reddit called QAnon Casualties, which is for people who have friends and family in their lives who have been sort of taken in by this rhetoric that has made them not want to become, you know, that have has been divisive. The way that, you know, this person said, I don't feel safe and you've shown me that you're this type of person and blah, 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 and blocked you is kind of a lot of what I see people saying has happened to them when they've lost a loved one to QAnon theories. And so it seems like this is kind of a thing that I I think is probably relatable to a lot of people because I see people expressing such pain and hurt and confusion in that subreddit, you know, where they're like, my mom did this to me. My best friend did this to me. My, you know, favorite cousin did this to me. You know, it's kind of like happening more and more and more. As for what to do with the feelings, it's as serious as a regular breakup. I think sometimes we say that friend breakups aren't as difficult or shouldn't be so emotional, shouldn't take up so much of your time. But I I think what you're describing is deserves the same level of emotional gentleness with yourself as if you were going through a romantic breakup. Definitely. And, and, you know, I think objectively, I think you can maybe see that what happened here had maybe more to go to do with whatever she was going through and whatever, you know, like she was obviously hypersensitive to something that was you know, you were sort of set up to fail in that situation. But I think this is so tricky, right? But I think what you have to realize, maybe, is you're looking for another person to heal you and really kind of examining why do you need another person to hear you out Mm -hmm. for you to grow and move past something, Mm -hmm. you know, because ultimately, like, I've really had to learn that like this idea of of closure and of being heard and of being understood. Sure, it's great in theory, but it is so rare to be, to have that actual experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this, but like when we had our falling out, Gabby, you wouldn't answer my phone calls and I wasn't allowed to talk to you about anything. And yeah. I had to just like sit with that feeling of like, you know, like I found out something had happened and I wanted to talk about it and you didn't want to talk to me. And then I was like, okay, what do I, you know, like, I think we've talked about, I don't think this is news to anybody. Yeah. Like, but like, you know, this friendship that we, I had been so huge in my life. Suddenly I wasn't even allowed to talk about the dissolution of it with the person. Mm -hmm. And it was wild. And, you know, having had multiple friendships and relationships end in abrupt and you know, I'm not talking about this like, oh, this is what I think it must be like. Like, I've been in this situation yeah, yeah. and I've had a lot of relationships end abruptly and yeah, without we both have. any clarity or me. Yeah. Or like, you know, and I've really had to realize that it's like everything that I think 
that I can get through the experience of having my voice heard and through the experience of quote unquote closure with another person is actually something that I can give myself. Yeah. That it is like actually a healing and a and growth and perspective that I am able to provide for myself. Also through talking it out with other people around mm-hmm. me. You know, it's not just like an internal monologue, but there is something to talking it out with your partner, talking it out with a friend, talking it out with a therapist. You know, it's not like you need to process it completely on your own. Mm-hmm. And, and nor did I for any of these situations. But expecting the other person involved to provide you with something, I think, again, in a way sets you up to fail because yeah. they're not going to. And so I think really recognizing that you can get to that same place without them and by you being able to say like this person is in a place where it wouldn't have even mattered if they heard my point of view. Right. Like to me that this person was reacting so emotionally to something that like it's not like, oh, if you had sat them down and said, but this is what I was thinking that it would change things or that they would suddenly like a light would flip on for them. Yeah. You were dealing with somebody who wasn't based in your version of reality. Yeah. And when that kind of thing happens, you have to just say the way that we view this thing is so different that I just have to honor the way that I view it and then continue my life forward with me believing one thing and being okay with them believing something else. Yeah. And like, you know, who knows what version of reality is going on? I mean, we're, I think we're hearing from you and we you know, you sent the messages. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't read them. But we agree with, you know, we agree with uh, the base level of what was going on of someone offering to make accommodations. And then when you ask for those accommodations saying, actually, those are upsetting to me is kind of a bit clear cut. But I also, you know, it's within someone's rights to be like, I don't want to talk about it and cut you off. I think it sucks. I think that's what Allison is saying. Where like, the best case scenario is sort of the fairy tale idea of like, once I explain myself, they'll get it. And then it'll be, you know, they'll change their mind and we'll be friends again. But like you, you're putting so much, Brittany, you're putting so much work and emotional labor, as Allison said, into convincing this other person, into wanting to convince this other person that it's, I don't think it's contributing to your own healing. I think you're like, if like I, with exes of mine, if I could just explain, you know, they'll get, they'll take me back. And it's like, well, one, I would hope that somebody who wanted to be in my life wouldn't jump to a conclusion that required them to block me after five sentences. But also like, what if you get, what if you get the chance to tell Tina your feelings and it goes worse or you get the chance to tell Tina your feelings and it doesn't do what you want it to do? You you can't feel like you're going to get it from this person. And it's so easy to build a fantasy. Like, it's so easy. I've done it to like build a fantasy in your head where, you know, I would I would think, well, if I could just get one, you know, talk to this person one more time, like I could totally get them to hear me out. But like, you don't know what would happen in reality. And so it in living in this fantasy, I think. Keeps you there rather than helps you move forward. And like some of it is acceptance. Some of it is just accepting yeah. this a person out there who used to be really close to me who now doesn't like me anymore. Yeah. And like that is a really yucky thing to sit with. Yeah. But on the flip side, it seems like you probably don't like them anymore either. You know, like there's you like a version of them that's a fantasy. Or like life is just complicated and messy. And, you know, if you're having falling out with every person in your life where this is like 
you're unable to maintain relationships, where you are really struggling to maintain like healthy, you know, relational patterns and, and you and you aren't able to hold on to any friendships, then I would say, OK, this is something yeah. that is like bigger, something that maybe like we do need to work through. We do need to address. But if it's really kind of this one off then I think just being able to say it feels awful that this person doesn't like me anymore after I was close with them for so many years. But it is also something that I can handle. Mm-hmm. I can continue to live my life with this person not liking me. Mm-hmm. And I can continue to be OK with the fact that the way that they view things is so differently than the way that I view things. Mm-hmm. Instead of focusing on the one person who who isn't hearing you, really shining a light on all the people that do. Yeah. You know, like who in your life actually does hear you? Who in your life actually sees you for who you are? Who can you yeah. go to as a form of support and putting your energy and time into them instead? I understand the worry, though, in this particular situation, because it seems to like I understand where I would worry about their health. I would worry about what they're reading. I would worry about their future. Like, I, I understand if you loved and cared about this person to be like, oh, my God, this is so abrupt of a change. Like, I, I'm worried, you know, but like they're not hearing you out and there's nothing you can do to force them to. But I do understand like how hard it is because I think for me it would cause distress in terms of like worrying about them, especially in this particular scenario. Totally. Yeah. But I think grieving the loss of the relationship will maybe serve you more than focusing on like how can this person finally hear me? Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Hopefully that helps. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Allison Rosen. So stay tuned. Just Between Us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Top Questions. This week on the show, our guest is Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen is the host of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend, the podcast, and Upworthy Weekly. Hello, Allison. Hi, it's so nice to be here with a fellow Allison and a Gabby. <laughs> No, you don't have to. I know this is an Allison convention. <laughs> you don't have to say anything to me. That's no, that's a, that's like the number one rule at the Allison convention is that we include just Gabby's. But if your Whoa. name is anything else, then Whew. you are screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I work security. I am allowed to like do that's sort right. of like catering and security and whatever at yes. the convention. And that's about it. <laughs> yes, exactly. If someone needs an autograph, I think you are you cool with also like handling Sharpies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do. I do the meet and greets. I kind of I'm a very big behind the scenes or if I coordinate the hotels, it's a lot of work Excellent. and it is unpaid. Yeah. Gabby hates to be in the spotlight. You know, Gabby's always like, <laughs> right. no attention on me. I'm just the, I'm just so meek. Don't pay. Yep. Don't look over here. Yeah. yeah. But if we accept an <laughs> award, we'll make sure to thank you. Because if we don't, that is going to make front page news. Yeah, exactly. Right on the front of TMZ. Allison doesn't yeah. thank Gabby. <laughs> Allison's don't think like uh, the collective oh. Allison's don't thank Gabby. So rude. Because everyone who goes to the Allison's convention, they're going to know that it was Gabby who like does the day to day and is like doing the well, on Sharpie detail. I do force all of you to watch a 20 to 25 minute video of me explaining how important I am. 
<laughs> Hi, I'm Gabby. If you need a Sharpie, come to me. Like <laughs> yeah. I feel like my 20s was that video. Yeah, the 25-minute video. Yeah, exactly. It's just different monologues of that. I, yep. Yes, I feel like before they let me leave campus, I watched that video, but it was just about like fear-mongering about what happens if you don't pay your student loans back. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was also me. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gabby. Hi, if I'm you Gabby. Like, why do I keep seeing this like minority report? I'm like on the walls, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we wanted to have you on to talk a lot about your show um, with Upworthy, which is really all about good news. And I think yes. that that's so exciting because we are inundated with bad news. Yeah, it's bad. It's all bad. It's all bad. And so what is it like to do a show that instead like focuses on the good things around us? It's actually for me personally, it's really good because I can be a bit cynical and a bit, I don't want to say I'm a downer, but I'm definitely not, uh, I, you know, look, I'm fun and I'm, I'm funny, I think, but I'm not like a perky ray of sunshine kind of person. And I don't know if you follow Upworthy or, or you're, if you're familiar with Upworthy, but they mm-hmm. have a huge social media following. And it's the kind of account that people follow because they want to have like a little break in their day where they'll just feel good. They'll read something that makes them feel, you know, it's like Upworthy, but the best of humanity. They'll look at something and they will be reminded that people do good things in this world. There are dogs that rescue people. There are, you know, babies that are super adorable and people are helping each other. And just we're reminded that we're a community and there's wonderful things to feel hopeful about, which is so important these days. So that's why people follow the account. So, to, you know, that's a, in general. So when they wanted me to co-host this podcast, which I was so excited about a little bit, I felt like, do they know what they're getting with me? Because <laughs> I am not like that spirit incarnate. <laughs> At all. Like, I can I can be like pretty sarcastic and irreverent. But thankfully, they are totally OK with that. So we do poke fun at the stories and, and it, it can be an irreverent show. But it's really it's really fun to do the stories. I mean, it's all kind of stuff. It's like five ways to hack your morning routine based on the morning routines of Buddhist monks like a lot of stuff with chanting and organizing your belongings of which Buddhist monks like really keep it very Spartan. They really don't have very much, you know, stuff like that. A lot of stories, like a kind of an ongoing, a running joke we have on the podcast is that we do so many stories about dogs and we never do any stories about cats. So people are (laughs) like, why do you hate cats? And, uh, we're like, we don't hate cats. This is not on us. This is on cats. When cats do something upworthy, we will cover cats. So we actually finally, and I'm blanking on what the story was, but oh no, I know what it was. We finally did the story that said that cats can recognize the names of like 25 people. But I feel still, and look, I'm not (laughs) anti-cat, but compared to the story, the like myriad stories about dogs we've done of dogs basically rescuing people like someone and their dog will be out, you know, hiking some summit and someone will fall and they'll be at risk of hypothermia and he'll be with two dogs and one of the dogs will like cover the person so they don't get hypothermia and the other dog will go, you know, get help. Help, yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the, 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 it's like, a, or it's incredible what the dogs will do. So cats, the bar is set pretty high. So we do stuff <laughs> like that. 
all sorts of stuff. I remember this one story that always sticks out in my mind, I think because I have kids and I'm always wondering like how to deal with them and screen time. And also I have like a crazy phone addiction. It's uh, it's pretty bad. I'm surprised I'm not on my phone right now. It's just next <laughs> to me and, I, and I'm, my thumbs are itching. But we did this story about this mom who offered her son some crazy sum of money when he was, I think when he turned 13, she said, if you wait until you're 18 to get on social media, I will give you X amount of dollars. And it actually, it was like an amount that would be a lot to a 13 year old, but to, it was, I think, feel like it was like less than $2,000. It was something where to me that would not move the needle, but to him it did. And, and I remember thinking that's like an innovative way to do this. And and he he went for it. And then when he turned 18, you know, she did give him the money. And I remember him saying that some of some of his friends made fun of him because they were all on social media and he wasn't. But she felt she had seen what happened with his older sister that I guess with like online bullying and things like that. And she just didn't want him to have to face that. So stuff like that. It, it really, you know, it, it, the stories really run the gamut. And so it's it's just really fun. And it's like, it always kind of gives you a conversation topic and something to think about that's not kind of depressing. I, I don't know when this is going to air, but as we're recording this, there's been like mm-hmm. some very depressing real world news going on. So it's nice to have a little place to go in your brain that's you can think about some uh, other stuff that is actual real world news, but it doesn't hurt your heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you think that negative news and bad news spread so much faster than positive news. Oh, gosh. Well, if I were to make a very uh, like a lofty anthropological, sociological argument based on my one Bachelor of Arts degree. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) Now that I have your attention. (laughs) But I mean, look, I read a lot on the Internet, so it's as if I have a lot of degrees. I think that we are wired to pay attention to, you know, our our drive to survive. And therefore, fear is something that is like a very, you know, important. Oh, my God, I'm so inarticulate right now. But I think that things that like light up the fear center of our brain. Yeah, fight or flight. And our, yes, exactly. We need to know about this because exactly. we need to be safe. Thank you for saying what I'm trying. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. So <laughs> I think about this all the time. Yes. So something that ignites our fight or flight, you know, section of our body, if it feels important because it feels like there's something in here that I need to know so that then I can keep myself and my family safe. Right. But also there's something sensational about it. But mm-hmm. I think that's why that spread so fast because it feels like, okay, if I can, you know, digest and internalize this story and then I, and, and it scares me, but there's probably something that I can learn from that and then I can live my life differently and then I can stay safe. Right. Right. I think. Or it's uh, sometimes I see it as trying to keep out of helplessness. So like you feel, you know, for instance, there was a shooting at Robb Elementary. This is what we're alluding to. Um, We're recording this about three or four days after. And the idea is that you see something like that and you're an average person reading the news and you feel helpless. There's nothing you can do. 
So maybe by consuming everything you can and knowing everything about it, you can, one, not only find something that could keep your family safe, but two, maybe figure out what's the magic button that I can push to make sure that my congressman knows, to make sure that my, you know, my local people know. But rather than finding out that particular stuff that could actually make you take action, it seems to just be like, let me soak in all the terrible details mm-hmm. because I just I just need to. And it will make me feel like I'm a, I'm helping somehow, even though I'm not actually getting the information that would help me because the media is not prepared to hand that to me. Right. With And with that particular news story, I keep having to tap out because every bit of information that's coming out is just, it's so much worse. Mm-hmm. I remember one, and this is not on the order of that, but do you remember the, there was one that was like catnip to me for some reason. Do you remember the Hilaria Baldwin story when it came out that she had uh, faked her backstory? Yes, absolutely. I do. I could not read that fast enough. I was just like the stakes. I mean, for her, it was probably big. But for me, like the stakes of this are so low. This is so fascinating and silly. And it was during the pandemic when everything was so bleak. I was just like, I'm so endlessly fascinated by this. That was I mean, that would not be something that Upworthy would cover because it's not the best of humanity. But that was my personal Upworthy. I was just Mm -hmm. like, this is so entertaining to me. Mm-hmm. I should not admit that, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, I was just like f- fervently Googling Rachel Hollis divorce and trying to like <laughs> figure out all the information about her divorce. And like, it is true. Like there is something that is like so much more comforting about these st- these like quote unquote news stories that are actually pretty low stakes and is just mm-hmm. like gossip and like or people Mm -hmm. behaving in weird ways that like or lying or you know but stuff where there's not actual like like the hilarious Baldwin thing it's like oh she like faked her accent that's just like weird it's not like hurting anybody you know right yeah yes (laughs) yeah or I mean I'm not even up to date like I my partner and I are watching Downton Abbey and I was like wow they killed off spoiler alert for Downton Abbey but I was like (laughs) Wow, they killed off Matthew. And then I was just Googling, why did they kill off Matthew? And then it was like, he asked to leave. And then I was like, wow, this gossip from 2012 sure is interesting. <laughs> like it's the lowest stakes. It's not even currently occurring. I love stuff like that. Yeah. I love, it. I love finding like a hole. It's like opening a little door. It's like finding a room that you didn't know about. Yes. Uh, there's a really interesting Reddit that I'm a part of called Hobby Drama. Which is just people who are are into very niche communities. And then they'll write up a long list of the current drama in that community. And it has nothing to do with me. It is. And the person has to give you all the backstory and all the information. And it'll literally be like, this is the huge thing that's happening in the crocheting community right now. And it will be like so... Like it, you read through it and you're like, I can see why this is like a huge thing. But like there's so much you have to like know and understand. And hobby drama, I cannot recognize I cannot recommend it more. It'll be like, this is the drama currently going on in this niche video game you don't even know exists on a platform you don't even know exists. And here's what people are mad about. And oh I'm like, Oh my God, I can't I can anyone go read it? Because I need yeah, to yeah, go yeah. there it's now. On Reddit. <laughs> Yeah. I need to go there now. I am so fascinated. I remember following someone on Twitter 
who was super into the world of pens. And I remember her like alluding to drama in the in the pen world. And right. I was like, I I need to know about that. And this sounds like all of that collected. I need to get into the pen world. That sounds yeah. right for me. <laughs> Sometimes it'll be like, truly, it'll be like someone used the wrong like color or whatever. But then I will warn you that every so often it'll be like, they came into the game and they used the wrong character and then it'll be like 4,000 words later and they were a pedophile. You know what I mean? Like it kind of, <laughs> like it, sometimes it does take a turn. Right. There should be a TLDR on that. Yes. Speaking yeah. of pen, this is not drama, but recently I went over to a friend's house and we played a game and she brought out mechanical pencils for all of us, mm-hmm. and, which I hadn't seen in a long time. And I was reminded that for years and years, I was like the lone holdout. I feel like all of my adult friends had switched to pens. I was a pencil user in a pen world. Wow. And I was using mechanical pencils. I prefer a 0.5, not a 0.7. That's too thick for me. And then at some point, I switched from peer pressure. But seeing her with her mechanical pencils reminded me my love of mechanical pencils. And I'm thinking of going back. Yeah. You should. I think be, I should do it. Be true to who you are. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to. It's time. I like what kind of pre- what kind of example am I setting for the youth that I've switched <laughs> to pens? <laughs> OK, so I have a question that uh, probably is a downer. Not really. I don't know. Like I see a lot of these good news sites. Right. And they'll be like, mm-hmm. good news. You know, humanity helps each other. And it'll be like this seven-year-old sold lemonade so his mom didn't have to go through breast cancer with medical bills, right? And then everyone's like, aw. And then they'll inevitably be the influx of people who are like, this is capitalist propaganda. Like, this is garbage. So like, how do you sort through that? Hmm, that's such a good question. I see that too. I see like, we shouldn't have to do a GoFundMe for basic health care. Or like a dog say a dog saved this person's life and it'll be like, why? And it'll be like, because the cops didn't do it. (laughs) Right. You know, and you're like, ah, I mean, I think the boring answer is both can be true. Yeah. You can feel uplifted by the way a community came together and a child did something precocious to help someone while at the same time recognizing wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to resort to these kind of measures to get someone care? And wouldn't it be better if we had, let's say, you know, basic health care or Medicare for mm-hmm. all, whatever we would prefer? That's mm-hmm. kind of how I look at it, you know, because I do always feel like heartwarmed by the story of, you know, we they raised X amount of dollars for this thing. And then I'm reminded of like, but why should they have to do that? Right. I also think comment sections can be very toxic places. Yeah. I mean, that's like a saying a very obvious thing, but but yeah, I mean, I work in money media and there's like a lot of sort of like this woman is a McDonald's employee of the month because she's still working into her ninth month of pregnancy and her her, you know, turn her her due date passed and she's still at work because her water (laughs) hasn't broken or whatever. Yay (laughs) to you, largely person of color for being our employee of the month or whatever. And I'm like, dear fucking Lord. (laughs) I know it's bad. I'm wondering if like your opinion of humanity has shifted at all through doing this work. Like, have you had any like personal takeaways that have like changed how you look at things? Maybe I am a little bit more positive because prior to this, I would say, and my screen report would say that I spent the majority of my online time on Twitter Mm. where 
I think I'm getting a bit of a skewed read on how people really are. I remember when Biden got the nomination and I was I was surprised when Biden got the nomination because based on Twitter, I was like, oh, it's going to be Bernie Sanders or possibly Elizabeth Warren. Like, I hope it's Elizabeth Warren. But I was surprised because I hadn't seen a lot of support for Biden on Twitter. Right. And so then that was a wake up call to me that like basing my sense of what's going on on Twitter is probably not a great idea. And I remember seeing some statistic that said that only however many X number of people are even on Twitter. Like this is Mm -hmm. not this is really not everyone. And Twitter can be Twitter is such a polarized place. So just filling my head with all these other examples of people who really are trying to be a community and Mm -hmm. trying to see the best in in others really has been like a balm for my soul, I think. Yeah. So I think I do in general have a much more positive I just walk around in in a better place. Twitter, I would say, falls under hobby drama at this point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so true. We're going to take a quick break for ads, but then we'll be right back with our guest. Just between us. And we're back. Is it frustrating? Like, you you find these stories, you cover them, and then you, like, I would imagine hop on to, like, New York Times, CNN, LA Times, whatever. And you're they're like not even cover. You know what I mean? Like, you, do you sometimes feel like it's a choice? Like, oh, wow. Like they're not putting any of this stuff forward at all. Some sometimes they are, you know, sometimes it's it's pretty far back. It's like more human interesty stuff. Yeah. So my background is is in journalism. And I guess I have a more pragmatic slash a little bit cynical view of it. And I just sort of see it's a business. That, yeah. But also like all of these outlets, they just have there's just the way that they do it. And like they're going to put what they're going to put on the front page and they're mm-hmm. going to order it the way they're going to order it based on what they think people need to know and what they want, what they think people want to know. And so the uplifting stuff, they're going to put it where they're going to put it. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I see what you're saying. Like, I I wish some of this more uplifting stuff, I wish that was pushed more to the front. But at the same time, if if there's not an urgency to it, if there's not some right. reason, you know, I mean, they they there's all these reasons that stories come out when they come out. And it's it's not really capricious. It's like pretty, you know, someone could 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 make a list of like, here is what needs to be involved in a story for it to be on this page at this time. Right. Yeah, I think like it's what you were saying about Twitter. It's curating. So like that's why you thought, oh, Bernie's going to get the nomination. It's why like, you know, someone could say, oh, I my Twitter, I follow all of these people and I think Trump's going to get elected again. Mm -hmm. Or like even um, with the uh, Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, my partner and my best friend, Drew is a trans woman. My partner is a trans man. So like they're both coming from the queer community and like they had completely opposite takes on the trial. And they both were like telling me separately. Everyone on Twitter agrees with me. That's so interesting because oftentimes people will. And in and by the way, I'm so I admire the fact that you're not on Twitter. And I'm wondering, are you like way more 
healthy and happy because of that. I'm extremely, I'm much happier. I will say I left in the wake of my like second or third cancellation. So, okay. I was like, okay, I have to go. Oh, see, I don't even know about your cancellations. That just shows the echo chamber that I'm in. Exactly. (laughs) And to me, it was all over Twitter. But like, was it? I didn't even really know they were happening. So I don't think they were. Right. That's so interesting. To me, they felt huge. <laughs> right. And I, I've had like brushes with things like that, too. And for me, it felt huge. And it's so right. traumatic when it happens, too. Mm-hmm. It's such a good it's such a good reminder that it's not as everywhere as you feel like it is. What, what I was going to say, speaking of echo chamber, though, is that an insult on Twitter is like you're in your echo chamber. But that go- just kind of goes to show, though, that actually we are in little echo chambers based on who we're following. And they were both so like everyone on Twitter agrees with me. What is this yeah. other person say? Like it felt like I was in between two realities, which is very dangerous for the news. I haven't really been following the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp stuff. However, I based on what I've heard sort of have an opinion. And then I will encounter people who have a different opinion, which makes me realize, oh, it's not as clear cut as I thought it was. Because I thought mm-hmm. like, oh, everyone feels a certain way. But that's what they were each saying. Yeah, right. And it depends on what news you consume. It's the same thing as like if I went to Fox mm-hmm. on Fox. OK, let's talk about the the with the shooting. Yeah. Fox News was reporting this person is an immigrant. This person is a trans woman. Not not true. Totally not true. They were reporting like this person. Uh, They were they were arrested for doing threats on the school four years ago, whatever. And then it ended up being like slowly as more news came out. Not not true, not true, not true. But like I was seeing screenshots and I was like, if you went to CNN, it would be completely different. And like, Mm -hmm. that's what we've created is like there's, you know, the good news, the bad news, even you reporting some good news, someone saying that's actually bad news. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. There was uh, a trans person. They found I don't know who who started it, but like they found a trans person's photo on Reddit who looked vague. I mean, not really not that similar, vaguely similar and posted and was like, look at these photos we found. And then that person started saying, this is me. Like, right. I, you're, this is false. Right. Yeah. So it's so just insidious. It's fill, filling a narrative. Yeah. I'm wondering, you know, what you think counts as news. Right. Because now we live in this place where there's, so, you mm-hmm. know, like you'll see like Twitter trending is like so and so wore a see through shirt as though that's yeah. news. You know, like what <sighs> what is the difference between just information and actual news? That is such a good question. And I think it's an ev- you know evolving answer. And what's funny is on Twitter trending, you'll also see like you know, number one, so-and-so wore a shirt, like two, shooting, three, caught, like the list is 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 crazy the way it's all Disjoint, up It's against disjointed. It. It'll be like, yeah. and then there's a war here and a bunch of people died. Oh, but now this like person, a minor, so, not a minor, I don't know, someone from a band that I've never heard of from Korea is like, needs support. Like, I don't know, right. you know, like you'll be like, what's happening? Right. Gosh, I, I'm trying to think of how I would define news. If it's just gossip that involves someone who's not a public person, then that I don't feel that that is news. I feel like that is just gossip or scuttlebutt. And if it's not true, if it can't yeah. be verified, that's not news. Uh, and that happens all the time on Twitter. Like right now, there's a, a story getting retweeted on Twitter, which is really, really compelling 
about someone saying that Greg Abbott's people threatened him and it's unclear whether it's true or not. Mm-hmm. Threatened him if he like didn't side with them and offered him money to to side with with him and say that he didn't want stronger gun laws. I'm like, oh, oh, man, if that's true, that's amazing. But it's really it's getting retweeted all over the place. And I hope someone looks into it to see what, what the truth is. So, like, obviously, if something is true, then something needs to be true to be real news. That's a good baseline. <laughs> yeah. In today's culture. Right. But then it's one of those things where it's like, like, at one point, notorious had a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. If something was notorious, it was like infamous. But now I think it's so frequently used to just mean no, mean um like well known that I I think mm-hmm. it's lost its negative connotation. So at a certain point, if a if a word is used enough, then just however it's used can become its meaning. So I think that if something is repeated enough, even if it's not true, just the fact that it's being repeated enough can become a news story in and of itself. As long as they explain that it's like not verified. It's really, they'll say people are saying the shooter was trans. Yes. (laughs) Oh, people are saying that, but that's not true. (laughs) Right, right. And so then the question is, well, is media, is news a mirror or is it like a thermos? You know, is it a thermometer or is it a thermostat? Like, Mm -hmm. are, are we, and I'd say, I obviously can't speak for all media, but like, are we just reflecting what's going on or are we trying to set a tone? And that's a much bigger conversation, obviously. Right. Is the the tail wagging the dog at this point? Right. Right. What are your thoughts on this desire to always show two sides of a story? Oh, I think it's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so harmful. I think it's annoying and dangerous. <laughs> I think it's incredibly dangerous because it's sometimes there is one clear story and then to have mm-hmm. to show quote unquote, the other side that's not based in reality makes it even harder for people to discern what the hell is actually going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is that you have one side that is only showing one side Mm -hmm. and then you have the other side, which is trying so hard to prove how unbiased they are. So they're presenting both sides. So then you've got one side and I'm I realize that I'm not identifying any of the sides. So this is the most vague statement ever. But so then you've got like a lot of attention being focused on. It's an unfair amount of coverage of this other side because Fox is covering it and CNN is covering it and it's other thing. Yeah. Right. Right. So, I, you know, CNN, let's for example, is trying is, is trying so hard to show how unbiased they are at times that they won't just come out and 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 debunk something or say like look this is clearly the truth at times right. they will but at times they won't and, and i find that frustrating i find that frustrating and, and kind of dangerous at times i do wish more often when we're when we're looking at things that feel important and dangerous and where the alternative feel seems to be like a a march towards fascism i feel like let's just come out and and say it yeah i wonder too you know there's this thing of Obviously, there's almost always undue pressure on marginalized people or people on the left to be perfect in a way that is not put on people on the right. And so if a Fox News person goes on CNN to say, well, this is I do feel this way about abortion and, you know, whatever. But then someone from the left goes on Fox 
and says, you know, fights for the like progressive opinion, mm-hmm. people will be like, why did you go on Fox? Yes. Canceled. Yes. <laughs> and it's this thing where Allison talks a lot. Allison Raskin talks a lot about like the they fight dirty and we don't. Yes, very much so. You can't go to an unfair fight and then play fair and expect there to be a fair outcome. Right. But do you think the answer is that we should play dirty? 100%. I think I could probably get on board with that. I have <laughs> I have some thoughts about what should be going on behind the scenes that I'm shocked is not happening. Look, I mean, I think that the fate of our democracy, of our country, of the earth is literally in our hands right now and is like at the precipice and for us to just be like, but we want to keep our hands clean. We have we have these rules that we obey in the Senate. Like that's our demise. <laughs> 100. Right. There's this thing on the on the left of like, we are good people. Respect us because we're good people. And it's like they, the other side is never going to respect that. They're never they going to respect, respect it. you. And they're not and they haven't been playing fair for decades. And so mm-hmm. to put this like I, you know, I think it also speaks to, and this is getting, you know, like there are some people in my life who think that there's never, there is never a reason for violence and that we can have change without violence. And I'm sorry, but that's never happened. Like, violence has always been necessary because people do not give up their power freely. And so Mm -hmm. this idea that we can like make this change in this peaceful and respectful way by towing the line and and doing it the way that that society deems is socially appropriate. While meanwhile, the other side is like playing so dirty, killing people, killing people all the time. And their rhetoric is actively killing people all the time. But then to expect us to be like, but you better be peaceful about it as the world is burning around you. Like, (laughs) I, (laughs) I. Agree. And I but I've been reading a lot. I mean, I've said this many times. I've been reading a lot about the anarchists in the 20s. It's the same thing. It's that people on the left were like anarchies too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then in retrospect, every, everyone's like Emma Goldman. We love her. But in her own time, leftists were like, no. She's bad for business. Yeah, I've just been reading a lot about Emma Goldman. <laughs> I just think the stakes, the stakes are too high for us to keep doing what has been failing. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys advocating for revolution? Always. Yes. Almost always. <laughs> <laughs> Offline, I'll tell you some thoughts I have. Anyway. <laughs> I think my husband would sign up and then help. Maybe he can talk me into it, but he's like on board. <laughs> okay, great. So there's at least three of us. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to play a game show that is pure anarchy? Yeah, I would love to. Okay, great. So hypotheticals is a game show where you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And I pick a winner based on how I feel. Sometimes I pick myself. I don't play fair. Oh, my God. God, I (laughs) feel like I'm on with Laura Ingram. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't say that. Um, Okay. Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Your partner of six years has the ability to shapeshift into anyone they have met in real life. One day, they decide to shapeshift into their boss so that they can make major pro-labor changes to the company during a board meeting. Okay, I like it. 
The only problem is that right before the meeting, the boss's wife appears to seduce the boss, who is actually your shape-shifted partner. Your partner goes through with the sex, so the wife doesn't realize anything is amiss. Would you stay with this cheater? The sex. <laughs> How? You, don't, you don't refer to it always exclusively as the sex? <laughs> no, I do. What kind of labor changes were made? Increasing the minimum wage, increasing benefits, providing more mental health services. And, wh- and when the boss finds out that these changes were implemented by him, what happens? Okay, this is a really great and important question. So basically what your partner has done, the boss already drinks a lot and is prone to blacking out. And so he gets the boss really drunk and the boss then ends up passing out in the closet, which is why he didn't notice that his wife was having sex with your shape-shifted partner. And then when he wakes up, he thinks he's getting all of this incredible positive news coverage about these pro-labor changes okay. that he's made. And so he's like, I guess I did that while I was blacked out. Oh, well, better double down because I'm, I'm, you know, society loves me. And is the wife a good person? Um, You don't really know the wife. She's just sort of like, she's just like loves to have sex in the office. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a couple questions. Sure, of course. Did my shape-shifting partner enjoy the sex oh now that's interesting you know they had to in order to make it happen they had to get to a mental place where okay. they were enjoying it oh. in order to sell in order to sell the performance oh they had to sell the performance mm-hmm. now follow up so this yeah. is this is uh, this there's a lot happening here consent yeah. some might even say it's a great basis for a feature film <laughs> yes <laughs> It's just called it's just called labor union and it's the two of them holding hands. <laughs> I don't forgive. It's called fruits of your labor. Fruits of your labor. Oh, cuz does she get pregnant? Oh, that's a great twist. Wow. Maybe in the maybe in the sequel. Whose DNA would it have? Your partner's. Wow. Wait, so you wouldn't forgive Gabby? No, I think there's a lot of weird consent stuff around yes. shape-shifting and bodies changing and body swap stuff. And I also, I don't know. I feel bad for the drunk. I feel bad that he's an alcoholic and yeah. like he could have gotten help, I guess. There's like a lot of sadness around this story that I just would like to nope out of. That's fair. It's about a bit of a downer. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> On our positive news episode. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I am one of those people, actually, who I hear stories all the time in real life. This talk about the person who's work, who's like upward, uh, you know, uplifting news. I hear stories all the time of people who bounce back from infidelity. And I always feel like I don't know that I personally would be able to. Mm. However, in this scenario, I am going to say, yes, I would forgive my partner because or at least I would try Mm. because he was trying to do something for the benefit of the employees. And I admire that. And he was so gung ho. Kind of a spy. Yeah. But on on the right side, you know? Yeah. He was more of an operative. Now, if it turns out that all along he was angling to hook up with this floozy, (laughs) then I'm going to be upset. If it like, if the benefits were just a ruse, 
but so I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go with it as like it's all in the name of the better benefits. I can't believe I'm doing this. I know. Wow. Truly wild. Yeah, I'll say that that your partner did not have any intention of having sex with the boss's wife, but unfortunately, oh, okay. they did fall in love with the boss's wife <gasps> during the. Oh my god! Yeah, that's a huge. Wow, twist. I didn't see. Oh my god! And then they end up killing the boss, and he takes on the boss's body for the rest of his life, and and lives this new life. That sucks. So, so as far as I'm concerned, and Gabby Bye. is concerned, yeah, our partner is dead. But really, it's the soul of the boss. In a way, like, yeah. In a way. The body of our partners. And you have to let them go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Our next game, less gentle. Here we go. Who won that one, though? I won just for the craft of my storytelling. <laughs> Got it. I feel that. <laughs> I feel bereft. Okay. Okay. But this one's up for grabs. Are you a terrible parent? Your child, five, is in the middle of their third t-ball game ever when they start shouting, I hate this so much. I hate this so much. So you go pick them off the field and drive them home. The next day, they come home crying because their teammates have started to call them the t-ball quitter. Are you a terrible parent? Wow. How old are they? Five. Uh, There's something so funny to me about a little kid standing in outfield screaming, I hate this so much. (laughs) At that point, you have to take them home. You have to. It's not nice. But I'm not a parent, so I don't know. Well, I am, and I have a five-year-old, and this is what I would do. So, no. (laughs) I mean, the fact that they're calling him a t-ball quitter makes me say, should I have... This is what would happen. I would get him, and I would say... No, I would take him home, but it's making yeah. me think, should I have had a conversation where I say, honey, is there any way you want, you know, like a try to right. talk to him. Is there any way you want to stay? But he would say no. And then I would take him home anyway. And then when they call him T-ball quitter, I would just say to him, who cares what they say? You didn't mm-hmm. want to play. It doesn't matter. They don't know. You know, I would try to encourage him to not give it a second thought because they're they don't know and it doesn't matter. But then it follows him for his whole life and then when he's graduating as a senior in high school, he has the nickname (laughs) TBQ, but nobody (laughs) even remembers what it related. Nobody remembers and be like, why is your nickname TBQ? And he'll be like, I don't know. We can't remember it. Something from when we were kids. And then he graduates as like Greg TBQ Malone or whatever. (sighs) See, and then it's a cool name at that point. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's tough because it's like, how much are you responsible for other kids being mean? True. And also, how much are you supposed to make your kids stay at something they don't want to be at? Yeah, this was right. inspired by taking my niece to a t-ball game and her just hating it and having absolutely yeah. no interest in what was happening. Mal's niece, too. Mal's niece was they had soccer and she loved it. And then they the, the next week they were like, OK, we're going to do t-ball. And all the kids were like, this sucks. Also, none of the kids knew the basic rules of the game. They didn't right. know what to do. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know what the goals were. It was hilarious. Right. It's different than soccer where you're running back and forth. You at least got something going on. T-ball, it's like a lot of sitting and waiting. Yeah. Why would you do that with five-year-olds? I think everyone should be allowed to quit T-ball is my message. So you both yes. won this one. Great work. TBQ! <laughs> okay. Our final game. Would you forgive this liar? You find out that you live right near one of your favorite coworkers and ask them if they would like to start to carpool to work. 
You suggest that the two of you could alternate who drives and who picks each other up. Your coworker says that they would love to carpool with you, but they actually don't have a driver's license. So they don't think it would be fair because you would have to do all of the driving. You tell them it's no problem because you live so close to each other and you end up taking them to and from work for a few months. Everything is fine until one Saturday you see them out and about driving a car. When you confront them, they admit that they can drive, but they have horrible road rage and so only ever drive alone so as not to scare the people in their life. Would you forgive this liar? Yes. I feel like that's a perfect reason. I mean, I would wish that they had felt comfortable enough to just tell me the truth. But at the same time, I get that they didn't. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be like they're just lazy or they were hoping to get out of having to spend the morning with me. And I was just thirsty with my pursuit of wanting to drive them all around. But I actually feel like that explanation totally makes sense if that's true. So I'm going to accept it. I'm kind of uh, thrilled with it. (laughs) I think the road rage thing is a lie. I think they're lying again. Double lie. I just don't buy it. I don't know. I don't buy it. Whatever. I don't know. I guess I forgive them. I think it's stupid, but sure. Would you keep driving them? How did, How were they getting to work before? Oh, alone. Yeah, they were driving. But alone. also screaming at everyone. Why do they yeah. have such terrible road? They need to go to anger management. What are they doing to fix it? They're not driving other people around. Yeah, I don't want. I got to go. Because what if we're out, we're at a bar, someone says the wrong thing, they throw a punch. I don't need to be around it. You know, this is true. I wasn't giving it enough thought. I wasn't (laughs) giving it enough thought. Okay, I host another show as well called Childish, which is my parenting-ish podcast with Greg Fitzsimmons. And we always joke that we should do a segment called Codependent Crossfire because we'll start out disagreeing with each other. And by the end, we both change positions because we talk each other into the other one's position. (laughs) So now I'm with Gabby. Now, the more I think about it, the more I don't necessarily want anything to do with this person because, like, they have too much rage. What if it comes out? What if it? What if they can't help it? I get someone, you know, cuts me off in traffic and they can't help it and they get... And they start honking. Yeah, they honk. They reach over. They honk. I I can't. I don't like that. They don't experience it as a passenger. Well, that just doesn't even make sense. No, I'm out. I don't... This is all a lie. Fine. But they were the best friend you could have ever hoped for. And if you had stayed friends (laughs) with them, you would have moved into a retirement community together and died in each other's arms. But you instead died in a Denny's. (laughs) Which is also fine. Denny's are fine, but you were alone. (laughs) What happened to me? No, that's for both of you. Oh, no. I also died in a Denny's? Yeah, you both died in a Denny's. Like one booth over. If only yeah. we had known we were both there. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Well, you were each alone in your booth. And the, the wait staff was like, twice in one day? This is double <laughs> the amount of deaths we normally have in Denny's. Someone check the eggs. <laughs> what a rough day at Denny's. The opposite of I'll have what she's having. <laughs> Horrible. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this whirlwind of an episode. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Where can people find out all the things that you're doing and follow you? 
please follow me on social media at Allison Rosen. I am just with one L because my mom wanted me to have to say just with one L for the rest of my life. A-L-I-S-O-N-R-O-S-E-N um, on Twitter and Instagram and my podcast Upworthy Weekly every Saturday morning. You know, it's a podcast. So anytime you want to check it out, but new episodes every Saturday morning, wherever you get podcasts. Upworthy Weekly, and then Allison Rosen is your new best friend, comes out Mondays and Thursdays, and then Childish comes out every other Wednesday. Yeah, so wherever you get podcasts, please check out my shows. Um, and I would love to have you guys on Allison Rosen is your new best friend, please. Yes, yeah. we'd love it. We would love it. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about Gabby's hatred of comedy. Hee hee ha ha. Just between us, it's time for topics. baby. See, Melissa, you're on a delay. Oh, I'm sorry. I just blacked out. <laughs> 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 oh, are you on a delay, no, or did you just forget just, to say your thing? I just forgot. <laughs> we believed in you. That was amazing, <laughs> baby. <laughs> Jeez, Louise. This show is real. <laughs> this show is real. <laughs> All right. So, Gabby, why why as a comedian do you hate comedy? I'm not a comedian. I took comedian out of my bio. Comedy's not funny. And I'll tell you why. Ooh. Because it's, it's not funny. Okay. It's trying. When something is trying to be funny, no. When something... Is you try to be funny all the time. You make jokes all the time. Hey, let me tell you something. Here's also why. Let me take my jacket off. Things okay. are getting heated. Here, taking my jacket off and getting ready. Comedians think that they're a protected class of person and they're not. And I hate it. Like, that's why I don't want to identify as one anymore because I find it. I find that largely in the media, comedians treating themselves as if they are some oppressed minority is really off-putting to me. <laughs> I, I find it hard to be fans of comedians because I have been big fans of comedians in the past and I have learned that they don't care about my rights as a human being. So like, it's hard for me to get on board with any person because I, at this point, I feel like if I like think someone is funny, I can just take a quick hop. Like, I don't know. I just feel burned. I feel like there's been so many people that I've been like, I want to like you and support your comedy. And then it just, when it comes down to it, they do not fundamentally see me as a person who deserves health, happiness, and rights. Like, here's what I find strange. There will be comedians from Groups that are clearly being targeted negatively by very powerful comedians. And then those people will then side with the idea of being a comedian rather than with the side of the like marginalized group that is act, like in danger because of what this comedian is doing. And they'll say, well, I'm a comedian. I'm not an X, Y and Z. And it's like, I just think comedian is not a minority. And I can't I can't stand people who act like it is. <laughs> And I'm just over it. I get what you're saying because there are comedians that they use comedy as an excuse for their bad behavior. For their bad behavior, they use it as an excuse. Like, okay, I'm sorry. The fact that like anyone doing transphobic humor in the year of our Lord 2022 thinks that they are edgy, thinks that they're saying something that is like 
so against the status quo. Like you are not punk rock anymore. Like comedy, the idea that you have of comedy as being punk rock, you're not. You're actually corporate. Like you are actually 100% the side of the state. Like, do you think that by being against trans people, you're doing something that like is anti-establishment, that is anti-government? No, you've literally become the bootlicker. Like you, <laughs> like there is nothing speaking truth to power, edgy, cool guy about any of it. And it's like so embarrassing to witness a lot of famous comedians go that direction. It's just like makes me be like, I don't care for this. Like to me, like it sucks because I used to go and do all and, and see a lot of comedy shows. And now I honestly like I would I wouldn't you couldn't pay me money to go to a stand up show. Mm. I would not go because I don't know what the fuck is happening there. Are you mostly talking about stand-up comedy? I'm talking about stand-up. Like scripted comedy? Oh, I'm talking about stand-up, but I'm also talking about, I'm talking about a lot of it. I, sketch comedy thinks of itself as so important. And like, if you are a mainstream, successful, like comedy entity in any way, and you feel that you are an oppressed voice of the people, like I have bad news for you. <laughs> Like you're not at all. And this playing both sides of it all, like the the largest sketch comedy platform we have is SNL, right? And SNL plays both sides. They'll say, well, we have these queer comedians who are writing these queer sketches and we're doing all this stuff. And then on the in the same breath, Elon Musk is the host on this in the same breath. Like they don't they they believe that there can play. We talked about this in the news segment. They believe we can play both sides. We can have you know, it's just comedy like we're just doing, and it's like, no, you suck. You suck. That's it. You're embarrassing and you're establishment and you're not the punk. You're not the like 1970s. We're doing cocaine and doing irreverent comedy on television. Punk bullshit that you were like 40 years ago. You're actively like establishment garbage. <laughs> If you want to think about who the people are who are like doing comedy that is original, that has something to say, it's it's going to be marginalized people. And those people don't get the chances that anyone else does. Rarely, rarely. I would say that like our old coworker, Quinta, who has Abbott Elementary, that is like a rare gem. Like that is like the rarest, <laughs> like, and I and the fact that that's on television is insane to me. So, like, I don't know. I just feel like but but sometimes with like even with television comedies, you can see you can see the the painstaking writing to like get to the joke. Like, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't enjoy things that are like I don't. And this is not Abbott Elementary is not like this, but I don't enjoy shows that are like joke, 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 joke. We got to the joke. Like, it's just like what? Why? I, I find that when people are able to be funny, I find that a, a lot of times in shows that are dramas, people are able to be funny in a way that is actually funny. Hmm. And they're not married to like the old standards of how s scripts used to be written that are now still being run by writers rooms of men who are 50 to 60 years old who are white guys who are grandfathered in and they're writing scripts the same exact way. With the same racism, with the same transphobia, I'm over it. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand everything that you're saying. I guess for me, I like I, I feel like these are more like structural and like systemic issues. Whereas like I think there are still people that are really funny and I love like I think that there's still 
yeah, a lot of great comedy that is happening. But I don't know, like you're right, that it's getting the same platform. I don't trust comedians. I've seen John Mulaney live. I'm a big enough fan of John Mulaney that I have seen his shows. To go to his show and be ambushed, not even, hey, you're buying a ticket, and not even with Chappelle. Let's say, oh my God, Chappelle's here to do comedy. And he does a set that doesn't mention trans people. Fine. But to be ambushed, to be attending a comedy show that you have paid for and to be ambushed with a comedian who wants to talk for, you know, even 10 minutes, let's say, I don't know how long his set was, just about how much he doesn't like trans people. And then for people in my head to go to people to go, well, that's comedy. Then I don't want to be part of it. Like, it's so bizarre to me, like that, that these people that owe so much of their revenue and so much of their stardom to a fan base to then betray that fan base in the name of comedy and supporting comedians as if comedians are a minority class makes me feel as though I don't want to attend any show. It's not safe. I don't trust anyone. I could have any sort of comedian that is very into standup, that is like a very big standup comedian. I don't trust them. I I don't know that I like I just don't inherently I'm like I don't trust you because what what I don't know I just feel like there's this level of like everything goes out the window and they start being like well if comedians are getting you know punched for their jokes then like we're just basically like you know in it's not free speech or whatever and here me let me say something which I already have been doing and maybe we'll cut this the guy who ran up on Chappelle good for him good for him Gay activists have been throwing things at and and physically attacking homophobes and transphobes as long as it's been going on. The person who threw a pie in Anita Bryant's face as she went around in 1977 and 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 riled up everyone in Florida to kill gay people, literally to make homophobic laws and to enact more fear and prejudice at gay people. Gay activists threw a pie in her face. And now to this day, we go amazing, incredible that you, that you did that. Good. She fucking deserved it. Like when you say something, there's consequences and you don't get to control what those consequences are. And gay activists have been taking to things physical as long as there has been a like bare bones, bare knuckle, bloody fingernail scrap, scraping fight for gay rights since the beginning. Stonewall was a riot. We threw bricks like that's it. Like if you want to come on stage and say shit about trans people and queer people, we get to run on stage and hit you. And that's it, man. That's the that's the trade. And we've been doing it as queer activists as long as possible. And black people have been doing it. You want to go back and say right now we say, oh, the Black Panthers. Oh, we love Malcolm X. So if somebody on stage decides they want to do a fucking, you know, horrible racist set against black people. And you expect black people to sit in the audience and not react. That's ahistorical. So I'm sorry. And we can keep that. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it is used as a like as a as like a trump card of like, but it's a joke. Exactly. Can't you take a joke? And I and I I 100 percent agree with that. Um, And I do think that it has tarnished the medium in a lot of ways and it does a lot of harm and it makes and they think that these jokes don't have real world repercussions that lead to violence against these marginalized groups that they're joking about on state quote unquote joking about 
But it's not even funny. It's not even funny. Or they think it's funny or they think it's original or they think it's edgy. And it's honestly like embarrassing. Yeah, it's like Ricky Gervais is like smart people aren't offended by his jokes. And he's so transphobic. (laughs) Like, just keep our names out your fucking mouth. Talk about literally anything else. Why are you obsessed? Mm -hmm. Like, literally, why are you obsessed? But then, you know, it's interesting. This this trans activist that I follow was talking about how we should stop as trans people. We should stop being this angry about this stuff because it gives them publicity, because the more angry we are about it, the more the transphobes go. We want to support it. We want to watch it. And that maybe um, they were talking about how during AIDS, the big phrase was silence equals death, which meant if you weren't speaking about the AIDS crisis, which was illegal at times, then um, you were causing more queer people to die. And so silence equals death is uh, been a phrase in the queer community for a long time. He was saying, apply that to these people's works. If you don't acknowledge that there's a new blank person special and you don't get angry about it and you don't waste any keystrokes on it and you don't even think about it, it goes, it'll go away because nobody's watching it or caring about it at all. It's actually embarrassing and irrelevant. It's one opinion. Hmm. I'm pro-violence. <laughs> <laughs> You're pro laughing as long as it's not at other people's expenses. I think that this whole thing is apolitical. If you say that marginalized people have never come at people physically for being racist, homophobic, transphobic, etc., you don't know history. Yeah. And if you would if you would say if you are pro someone throwing a shoe at George Bush because of the Iraq war, then why are you pro that and not anything else? Tackle the shit out of Chappelle. I think he shouldn't be able to get on a stage without one of us trans people coming up and socking him. You want to talk shit? Talk shit, get hit. <laughs> I didn't know what this conversation was going to be about. Um, <laughs> I thought it was going to be more lighthearted, but I appreciate... No, I'm mad. Yeah, mad. I appreciate your perspective and it gives me pause for thought. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. Just call this episode Talk Shit, Get Hit. <laughs> Don't explain anything else about what the episode's about. (laughs) What do we rate this episode? I rate it 13 out of 12 because I'm back on my bullshit. And so I rate everything 13 out of 12. I rate it 13 out of 12. You can't make them hear you out. I'll rate it 17 out of 11. Pause for thought. (laughs) I'll rate it 15 out of 5. We didn't read your text messages, but we believe you. Marco Polo messages, which is a video. Or maybe it was text, but I also loved the description that it was Marco Polo video <laughs> messaging. Right? We're like not even cool enough to know what that is. I only know about that because of one of my friends who's five years younger than exactly. me. Exactly. One day we're going to get an email and they're going to be like, we were messaging on zip, Zippy Zoop Zap and you and I are going to be like, we're too old. Yeah, that's our sign to retire. <laughs> well, thank you so much to Allison Rosen for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Jog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. 
Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. You can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye! Forever! Dog!